Dr. Kristen Oja here, entrepreneur and functional medicine expert. Welcome to Little By Podcast, where our goal is to empower you to achieve optimal health, one step and one episode at a time. Taking a functional medicine approach will cover a variety of health and wellness topics, from how to optimize performance to how to balance your hormones and everything in between. This podcast is for educational purposes only, so please be sure to consult your healthcare provider before incorporating any changes into your daily routine. Now grab your headphones and let's go for a walk as we take steps towards becoming your best self. Today's topic is PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome, and this syndrome was actually first described in 1721, which is crazy to me. That is forever ago that they were diagnosing PCOS, and yet today, so many women, they really estimate about 70% of women go undiagnosed with PCOS. And I find a lot of women in practice, when I talk with them, they come off birth control trying to conceive, and they have trouble getting pregnant. And that is when the diagnosis of PCOS ends up happening because they're having these anovulatory or not ovulating cycles. And so they have trouble conceiving. But I wanted to kind of go through some of the symptoms of PCOS. What are some of the risk factors? What are labs we look at? And what you can do with your lifestyle if you've been diagnosed with PCOS or if you know somebody that's been diagnosed with PCOS. So symptoms of PCOS, it's anything from irregular cycles, And this is often fewer cycles. So a lot of my patients with PCOS, they may have a cycle every 45 to 60 days. So um, because the cycle is not happening every single month, that uterine lining starts to build up and it can cause heavier cycles. So a lot of women, when they do have cycles with PCOS, it can be heavy or more painful. They also will notice some thinning hair on their head, especially some male pattern baldness and hair growth where they don't want it, which is called hirsutism. That can be the dark hairs on your chin or chest, which affects about 70% of women with PCOS, acne, especially around the jawline, neck, back, body odor changes, weight gain. About 80% of people with PCOS are overweight or obese, but that is not always the case. I meet with a lot of women who tell me that they they, their doctor told them there's no way that they have PCOS because they're such a healthy weight. And we know about 20% of women with PCOS are a healthy weight or maybe even thin, and they still meet the criteria for this syndrome. We also see headaches just from some of the hormone shifts that can happen. And this is the most common endocrine disorder in women of childbearing age. So the research really varies. Um, I've read anywhere from 10% of women of childbearing age to 27% of women of childbearing age, but on average, we say about one in 10 women of childbearing age has PCOS. And think about the people that don't know they have PCOS that deal with some of these symptoms on a daily basis. And it really is a syndrome. So you don't have to have every single one of the things associated with this syndrome, but you'll often have some cysts on your ovaries, high levels of testosterone or DHEA, irregular skipped periods, as we talked about earlier, and elevated insulin. Those are some of the common things that we see associated with this syndrome. 
And people that have PCOS, they're at higher risk for infertility because they're not ovulating every month, making it harder to get pregnant. You have to ovulate to conceive. They're at higher risk for metabolic syndrome, so it increases risk of high blood pressure, elevated cholesterol, diabetes. If you're one of the 80% with PCOS that's overweight or obese, have a higher risk of sleep apnea. We also see an increased risk of endometrial cancer because the uterine lining is not shedding every month and it's thickening. We see depression and anxiety secondary to some of the hormonal imbalances associated with PCOS. So it's really important to identify PCOS before you develop some of these other conditions. And Conventional medicine really manages PCOS kind of with a triad of birth control, metformin for blood sugar control, and spironolactone for androgen excess. And that can be very effective, uh, but it's not really addressing the root issue. So at Stat Wellness, we really try to figure out the why behind PCOS. And typically, we see two big drivers of polycystic ovarian syndrome. We see insulin resistance and we see inflammation. So we're really looking at that further. We're looking at hormones. We're looking at inflammatory markers in labs. So I want to kind of break down some of the labs that we look at. So with PCOS, we're looking at an FSH and an LH ratio. Typically, this ratio is three to one or higher when you have PCOS. And this is how is your brain talking to your ovaries. And so that communication gets off because of some of the other hormonal imbalances, and it causes you not to ovulate every month. We also look at AMH, which is anti-malarian hormone, and we typically see this level above four with PCOS, and it's really due to the increased follicles. Those cysts kind of within your ovaries can increase up that AMH. Estrogen and progesterone levels are typically low, although I do see quite a bit of estrogen dominance associated with PCOS as well. So we like to look at the estrogen and progesterone and specifically look at the estrogen and progesterone balance. And it does matter where you are in your cycle when you check these levels. So if you're looking at the follicular phase, you should see your estrogen climb a little bit more. Or if you're checking around ovulation, your estrogen should actually be the highest. If you're looking in the luteal phase, that second half of your cycle, your progesterone should be climbing. We look at androgens in the blood work, and we actually want to see where is your DHEA level, where is your testosterone level, both your free testosterone and your total testosterone that's bound to protein. We like to look at sex hormone binding globulin because sometimes your androgens, testosterone, DHEA can be normal, but your sex hormone binding globulin, which think of it as a lock and key. So if you have a lot of testosterone, you could be increasing up your sex hormone binding globulin and it's binding to all of those testosterone molecules. And so when you check it in, in labs, sex hormone binding globulin can be very low with PCOS because it's all bound to the testosterone. We also look at insulin, which is the hormone that pushes glucose into your cell to be used as energy and we like to look at a good fasting insulin, and we have very tight windows of where we want that to be. And so we're looking for any kind of risk factors, even for PCOS to develop. We believe that it kind of falls on a continuum. And if we can catch signs of PCOS early, hopefully we can reverse it. If we don't catch it early, hopefully we can still reverse it uh, by some of our functional medicine principles. We also like to look at a C-reactive protein, which is a vague marker of inflammation in the body. We really 
want inflammation to be as low as possible with PCOS. And we look at vitamin D because vitamin D really helps a lot with blood sugar control and inflammation. And in our patients with PCOS, we see a lot of vitamin D deficiencies. And again, we're really striving for all these levels to be optimal and not just normal. And so what we do, once we've identified that somebody has PCOS, you know, we could, depending on the degree of their symptoms, look at that triad that they use in conventional medicine of birth control, spironolactone, and metformin. But again, it's not really addressing the root issue. And when you come off those things, a lot of those hormonal imbalances come right back. So if your goal is ultimately to conceive or to have children or prevent metabolic syndrome or decrease your risk of endometrial cancer, any of those things, you really want to focus on the root cause and you really want to focus on reversing this syndrome. So again, we kind of focus on two main areas that I wanted to walk you through when we're talking about managing PCOS. And that again is blood sugar and inflammation. So when we're looking at balancing blood sugar, we really focus a lot on lifestyle. We focus a lot on diet exercise, and stress. Those are kind of the three biggest areas that you need to focus on when you're trying to manage your blood sugar. With diet, we really do recommend a lower-carb diet with PCOS. We want our patients focusing on high-quality protein, healthy fats, and lots and lots of vegetables to get lots of nutrients, color, fiber, all of those good things. We really try to avoid high-glycemic or processed foods, so things like donuts, pastries, pastas, breads, uh, candy, all of those high sugar things are going to drive up your insulin and worsen PCOS. We really focus on balancing our meals and making sure that we're not just eating a carb alone. So maybe you want to have an apple. Can you have an apple and dip it in some almond butter um, or something that has some protein and healthy fats in it to help balance that blood sugar? So the key is really to eat a well-balanced meal uh, throughout the day to help keep that insulin level balanced so it's not spiking and dropping, spiking and dropping, because insulin resistance is a big driver of PCOS. So dietary-wise, more healthy fats, more protein, and lots of veggies, less carbs, and definitely avoiding those high-glycemic and processed foods that are higher in carbs. For exercise, studies have really found that even 30 minutes of moderate exercise three times per week can be super beneficial when it comes to managing PCOS. So don't think you have to hit the gym for an hour, five or six days a week to see results. Even 30 minutes of moderate exercise three times per week can be really beneficial. And as we're talking about managing blood sugar, shifting that body composition and focusing on strength training is going to help regulate your blood sugar better. Lean muscle mass really helps pull in glucose and uh, because it's needed for fuel. And so after a good strength training session, we see that blood sugar is more balanced the rest of the day, if not even the next day. So a lot more lean muscle mass building exercises or strength training. We also add supplements depending on the person to naturally help increase insulin sensitivity on a cellular level. Again, a big driver of this PCO and sometimes my patients come to me and they are managing their diet and exercise. And maybe the biggest indicator is their stress. So we look at that too. Because we know that when cortisol is high, blood sugar is high. So if you are chronically stressed, 
often you're going to have some higher blood sugar, at least a higher fasting glucose, uh, which is your fasting blood sugar before you've eaten anything in the morning. So some of those supplements that can help increase insulin sensitivity, that's anything from chromium, which is a trace mineral that is really helpful for insulin sensitivity, berberine. There's actually been some studies uh, comparing berberine to metformin. Alpha-lipoic acid is an antioxidant that helps with blood sugar regulation. And another one that's really good for blood sugar regulation and healthy ovulation, if you are trying to conceive, is inositol. And there's a lot of different brands out there uh, that are really effective in therapeutic doses. And the second component is the inflammation, really reducing the inflammation. And one of the best ways to work on that is to really start focusing on the foods we're putting on our body. And I know there's so many diets out there, and I always joke, but it's true. I can find research to support a vegan diet, a vegetarian diet, a Mediterranean diet, a keto diet. You have to figure out what works for you. But across the board, when you're looking at almost every plan, eating whole, simple ingredients whenever possible is really the best for us. Broccoli is broccoli, chicken is chicken, sweet potatoes are sweet potatoes. So trying to eat as much whole foods as possible with lots of different colors is really going to help with inflammation. And I do find great success with a more Mediterranean diet that focuses on a lot of fish, vegetables, and healthy fats when it comes to inflammation. And I know it's also very controversial, but we do a lot of food sensitivity testing at STAT. And the reason is not to follow a really strict diet for the rest of your life, but we often find one or two or three severe sensitivities that's really driving up inflammation. And I do understand it's controversial and food sensitivities and food allergies are very different. Food allergies is an immediate immune response that nobody will ever deny because you eat something you're allergic to, your throat closes up, you break out in hives. That is a true allergy response. With food sensitivities, you're never going to have that true allergy response. Food sensitivities are uh, IgG and IgA reactions, and they're delayed food reactions. So you would have to eat something maybe three days in a row before you're going to notice some GI upset or some joint pain or your eczema is flaring or you're having more brain fog. Or in this case, you have some low-grade chronic inflammation that's impacting your hormones. Inflammation, again, is a big driver of PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome. So we look at food sensitivities at STAT to see, is there maybe one or two foods that are really severe sensitivities that you do need to cut out for six weeks, then add back in in moderation to help regulate your inflammatory levels? And we have seen a lot of huge success. Somebody does the test and they find that dairy is a huge sensitivity for them. They don't have to go on strict eliminations. They really just need to focus on cutting out dairy. And we see markers like C-reactive protein go down. Or maybe their only severe sensitivity is avocado. And they put avocado in their smoothies in the morning. They put avocado on their toast. They put avocado on their salad with dinner. And before they know it, they're having three or four servings of avocado per day. And it's something that's driving up inflammation because it's triggering an immune and inflammatory response. So food sensitivities, yes, they're controversial and they should be done with a healthcare provider that is not going to tell you to just avoid 30 foods. 
You want to figure out what are some of the biggest uh, drivers of inflammation and immune activation. How can you cut it out short term and then reintroduce it just in moderation? So we really do look at that as we're trying to reduce inflammation depending on the person and their story. We also look at adding in some anti-inflammatory herbs. Can you cook with turmeric or ginger or garlic more? We focus on upping omega-3s and um, making sure we keep our omega-3s and six fatty acids in balance. In America, we tend to get a lot of omega-6s and not enough omega-3s. And when that ratio gets off, you, it can drive up inflammation. So nothing is wrong with omega-6s. We just get so much of them in America. We really want to try to get those omega-3s up and omega-6s down just a little bit. So we up foods like cod or salmon, ground flaxseed, chia seeds, walnuts, all of those good omega-3 fatty acids to kind of help calm down the inflammatory cascade. We also, depending on the person, their story, their blood work levels, we may prescribe something called low-dose naltrexone or LDN, and we find huge success when it comes to hormone balance and inflammatory conditions with LDN, and it goes to a compounding pharmacy and um, something that I think is worth exploring if you've never heard of it, but we see some good improvements, and there's actually been some studies done looking at low-dose naltrexone and polycystic ovarian syndrome. And depending on the person, if we've really done everything we can to balance their blood sugar and we've really reduced inflammation and they're still struggling with fertility or hormone balance or some of the symptoms we talked about earlier, the hair loss on their head, the cystic acne, the body odor, uh, the weight gain, the blood sugar instability, then we may look at adding in some other supplements depending on the person. And, and some other things we use are things like Vitex, which is a progesterone mimicker, a adaptogens to help with the body's stress response. We may look at probiotics if the gut and the immune system is really their root and balance. So as you can see, there's so many different uh, therapies you can do for PCOS, but I think number one, it's really important if you're having any of those symptoms that I mentioned earlier, it's really important to get your hormone levels looked at. Go to somebody that's going to look at the whole picture. We don't want that 70% of people with PCOS to go undiagnosed. We don't want the first time you find out you have PCOS to be when you've been trying to conceive. And by the way, the definition of infertility is one year of trying to conceive. Um, and then you start being treated like you have infertility. But we want to catch PCOS or some of these hormonal imbalances before you're trying to get pregnant or when you've been trying to get pregnant for three months unsuccessfully, we want to take a look at your whole health timeline. We want to look at your current symptoms. We want to evaluate your diet, your exercise, your lifestyle, your stress levels. And we want to look at these from an optimal lens and not just a normal lens. And just remember that PCOS falls on a spectrum and you don't have to be really overweight and having 60-day cycles and losing all your hair and having cystic acne to kind of fall on this PCOS continuum that we treat on a daily basis at Stat Wellness. So again, you know, come in, get evaluated, whether you come to Stat Wellness or another functional medicine practitioner, 
you just don't want to suffer with some of these hormonal imbalances long-term because they do increase your risk of metabolic disease, sleep apnea, endometrial cancer, some of those other things. And as always, if you guys have any questions, reach out to me. These connections are really meant to be quick and dirty. Uh, PCOS is, is something that I hold close to my heart because I kind of fall on a spectrum of PCOS. I'm constantly having to manage it with lifestyle. I really focus on my blood sugar regulation, my inflammation. And when I don't, I can feel it. My inflammation levels go up. My acne will get worse. Um, my weight, I can gain weight very easily. So making sure you keep your hormones in balance and you go to somebody that understands the complexity of PCOS and is going to look at all of these different markers, the FSH, the LH, the AMH, your estrogen and progesterone, your androgens, insulin, uh, inflammation based on that C ERP and vitamin D. If you have any questions, reach out to me. Let me know what topics you guys want to hear. I love these connections. I love uh, kind of doing a brief overview on some of these topics from functional medicine lenses. And I'm always here uh, to answer any questions you have or hopefully see you at Stat Wellness. I know that me, Athena, or Kyle would love to work with you. Thank you for tuning in. And as always, remember, little by little, a little becomes a lot. Even the smallest changes over time can lead to total mind and body transformation. I'd love for you to stay connected with at Dr. Kristen Oja and at Stat Wellness on Instagram. And if you have any questions, be sure to reach out. I'd love to hear from you.